The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello, good morning. Welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Today is January 26, 2021. And to all the spouses out there, this day is for you and yours. Today is National Spouses Day. National Spouses Day is on January 26 each year, and it celebrates the bond between two people and sets aside time for couples to show each other gratitude. So if you've got a spouse, take a grab, give them a big pucker up. Uh, and if you are on the market looking for a spouse, don't give up hope. I always thought the word spouse was a little strange. I thought it sounded like mouse or louse, like lice. Like, where is it coming from? So I actually looked up the word, the derivative of the word for spouse. It actually comes from a Latin word, which means to promise. Uh, so that's what it is. It's about making a promise. And in this culture, in this society right now, so few people actually keep their promises. So hats off to all you spouses out there who are keeping those promises to each other and putting each other first. So let's move on to our first guest of today. His name is Larry Elder. He's a nationally syndicated radio talk show host, and he's also a columnist, and he's the executive producer of a documentary. It's called Uncle Tom. I have a quick trailer of this. Let's take a listen, and then we'll bring in Larry Elder. I focus on three things. Belief in God, belief in myself, and my belief in the United States of America. Being a black conservative is just natural. It's what my family raises on. Faith, family, individual responsibility, education, service to the nation, an entrepreneurial mind. Being a business owner in America is one of the greatest privileges of being an American. I think black Americans should believe and uphold the ideas of constitutional inherent rights. I always felt that if I worked hard, that I could overcome the circumstances of my life. I never felt that because I was black or I was poor or a woman that I couldn't do something. Humans are naturally conservative. You grow up being told to work hard for what you got. You don't, you don't grow up being told you're going to get something because you just want it. Like, you ain't got to work for it. But Democrats, they say, hey, we give you everything for free. That ain't reality. And the executive producer of this film joins me, Larry Elder. Good morning, Larry. Morning, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Good to have you. So let's talk about economics here, because you put out an op-ed, you wrote it uh, for the Toronto Sun, and you said that my documentary is blacklisted by Hollywood. You are not alone. Shelby Still put out a documentary last year. It was looking at what killed Michael Brown. He's a black conservative as well. And he looked at the death, the tragic shooting death in the St. Louis area of Michael Brown. And he questioned the liberal orthodoxy, but he was banned from Amazon. And there's just a lot of pushback economically. So let me ask you something. Thing, Larry, because Hollywood always loves to say it's all about diversity. It, uh, you know, the, the, the Hollywood, the Emmy's so white, things like that, the Grammy's so white. They want to make sure there's more diversity in Hollywood. And here you have what's happened to you. You say you were blacklisted. First of all, tell us, how were you blacklisted? And then how do you square this up with what Hollywood says it wants to promote? 
Well, Carrie, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I'm born in the hood. So you'd think that Larry Elder would be a great success story for uh, the LA Times and the local trade papers around here. I've written several books. Two of them have made the Los Angeles Times bestseller list, Carrie. I've never had any of my books reviewed by the Los Angeles Times. Uh, and of course, Uncle Tom has not been reviewed by the LA Times or any other, other major trade publications. My suspicion is it's because I'm a black conservative, and that's probably the worst thing you can be in America. Uncle Tom has a higher IMDb rating, International Movie Database rating, than any of the last 10 films that have won the Academy Award uh, for Best Documentary, except for one, which has the same rating uh, as Uncle Tom does. It was called OJ in America, made a few years ago, had an 8.9 rating. Uh, Uncle Tom has an 8.9 rating. Every other film that won the Oscar in the last 10 years had a lower International Movie Database rating uh, than Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. If you know anything at all about movies, Rotten Tomatoes is brutal. It's a uh, way that anybody who wants to uh, comment on a film can do so. So anybody can write in and say something. And 96% uh, rating on R Rotten Tomatoes is literally off the chart. Now, there have been three major uh, movie lists at the end of the year, best documentary. Probably the most prominent is something called Indie Wire. And they listed all the films they thought were prominent films documentaries in 2020. And of course, Uncle Tom, not there. Never mind. None of the movies on the list has an IMDb rating higher than Uncle Tom. Uh, and the measure of a commercially successful movie, Carrie, in Hollywood is if your movie does three times its cost. So far and counting, Uncle Tom has done seven times its cost. No review in Daily Variety, no review in Hollywood Reporter, no review in the New York Times, LA Times, Philadelphia Inquirer, I could go on and on and on. The only person who's reviewed, who's commented on the film from any major publication had been a guy named John Cass, K-A-S-S, who is a political commentator. Commentator. He writes for the Chicago Tribune, and his column was about how Uncle Tom is being ignored by the left. So nobody has really done a film review uh, of Uncle Tom, who's a non-conservative in any of the non-conservative trade publications, and we're afraid that Uncle Tom is going to be blacklisted uh, come uh, Academy Awards ceremony. The votes are going on right now, but because Uncle Tom has been ignored by so many uh, trade publications, a lot of people who vote probably don't even know about the film. So that's Larry, let really me ask you, have you been banned by any of the commercial companies? So you're available on Amazon Prime, you're available at Walmart, you're on iTunes. Have you been banned from any technology platforms so people can't see what you're produced? No, uh, I have, like, like a lot of conservatives, lost a lot of uh, my followers on Twitter in the last two weeks, I lost over 100,000. Uh, and one of the uh, 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 sites I partner with is a, is a company called Epoch Times, E-P-O-C-H. Uh, their entire uh, uh, channels on YouTube have now been demonetized. It happened a couple of days ago. So I've had that, but Uncle Tom, surprisingly enough, has made it on, as you pointed out, Amazon Prime, Walmart Online, uh, iTunes, it's not made it on Netflix. I was told Netflix is not likely to pick it up because they're so left wing. And Netflix, uh, Netflix was not interested in Uncle Tom at all. Larry, do you think there's an opening for a conservative Netflix? Because the same thing happened, as I mentioned, with the Shelby Still documentary that questioned being a black conservative and saying, hey, maybe there's something here. That was banned from Netflix, too. Do you think there's an opening for conservative Netflix? I certainly hope so. Again, we tried, but they were not interested at all. They didn't say we're not interested because your film is conservative. They just rejected it. And right, I no, no, told, I'm saying, I'm saying, do you think we could build, would someone oh, want to build a conservative Netflix? Our own platform. 
That's the only answer, Carrie. We have to build our own infrastructure, our own social media platforms. And we're doing that. There's something called Gab that just came online. There's Rumble, as you know, uh, that uh, got shut down. But the only answer is not to bitch, moan, and whine about uh, how, how unfairly we're being treated, not to run to the government uh, to pass more regulations. The answer is to build our own platforms. And we have been asleep at the switch. All right, folks, stick around. We got more with Larry Elder after this. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk more with Larry Elder about his experience as a black conservative. We're also going to get into his take on how conservatives would survive right now in the age of Biden. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. So I love hearing from our viewers and people who watch this program. Every day we put out a question right before the program starts. I want to get to a few of your answers. So I asked about the filibuster. What will happen with the death of the filibuster? What will happen if Democrats decide to blow up the filibuster and basically pave the way to have only a simple majority and have a lot more Democratic legislation that's passed? Uh, Even though Republicans, they largely kept the filibuster intact. They only used it for judicial nominees. They didn't use it for regular legislation. So some of our viewers, we've got Humble Rock. Humble Rock responds, upon the death of the filibuster, will all copies of Mr. Smith go to Washington have to be seized and destroyed? Very interesting question, especially in light of seeing how the book 1984 is so popular right now. A lot of folks are just worried that we're going to keep getting unpersoned. Things are going to keep getting disappeared. And it looks like this book, Mr. Smith could be on the chopping block. Another viewer, Anthony Sapolo, says the first piece of real legislation they try to pass that doesn't pass will trigger it. So Anthony thinks that the Democrats, as soon as the Republicans block and try to say, hey, we don't have a 60 vote majority for this, the Democrats will use a snap judgment and we'll see if Anthony is correct. Alias Life on Earth says, you mean continue sabotaging the Senate and democracy. So alias Life on Earth says that the nuclear option should be used, hashtag nuclear option. Alias Life on Earth seems to say that the Democrats should just do what they want to do, uh, even though the Republicans gave them the courtesy of keeping that intact. All right, let's turn back more to the conversation with Larry Elder still on the line with me. Larry, I want to play a quick clip from a video that you put out for Prager University, but it's with Condoleezza Rice. Let's take let's take a listen. It sure doesn't feel worse than when I grew up in Jim Crow, Alabama, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's drop this notion that we're worse race relations today than we were in the past, really? That means we've made no progress, really? And you, you, Larry, you made a really interesting video lately, and you said, hey, I'm looking at folks like Trevor Noah, I'm looking at folks like Spike Lee, I'm looking at folks like the Obamas, where they're spending tens of millions of dollars on mansions, expansive homes that everyday Americans of all races could not in any stretch ever dream of affording. And yet you have these prominent African-Americans who are able to purchase these dream homes. What say you? 
Well, the, to me, even worse are the late night hosts you see on cable, people like Van Jones, uh, Don Lemon. These guys are very, very wealthy, sitting around bitching and moaning and whining, telling black people who are not wealthy that racism stops you from becoming wealthy. Uh, I, the whole thing is outrageous. Barack Obama, before he became president, gave a speech at a historically uh, a black church. He was talking about how much racism there is. And he said, the generation of Martin Luther King, the Moses generation, he called it, has gotten us 90% of the way there. And Kerry, I thought that was quite reasonable. He said, my generation has to get us that additional 10%. That's before he became president, let alone reelected as president. Uh, in 2007, when he was running, Gallup asked Americans whether they would never vote for a black person, never vote for uh, a female, his uh, likely rival, Hillary. And on the other side, Republican side, Gallup asked if, they would, if Americans would never vote for a Mormon, referring to Mitt Romney, or a man who would be 72 years old when he became president, referring to John McCain. 5% of Americans, Kerry, said they would never vote for a black person for president. 11% said they would never vote for a female. 24% said they would never vote for a Mormon. 42% of Americans said they would never vote for somebody who would become 72 years old when he became president, referring to John McCain. So Obama had a lower barrier than these three white politicians he was competing against. We should knock this off. America has never become, has never been a, a less racist place. Uh, Orlando Patterson is a sociologist from Harvard. Uh, like all sociologists, he's left wing, Kerry. In the 90s, this black sociologist from Harvard said, America has now become the least racist majority white society uh, in the world, provides more opportunities and more protections for black people than any other country in the world, including all of those of Africa. The man said this in the 90s. It's now 2020, let's knock it off. The number one problem facing black America is not systemic racism, not institutional racism, not foundational racism, not endemic racism, covert, overt, or any of the other nonsensical uh, phrases that the left uses. The number one problem facing black America is the fact that 70% of black kids enter the world without a father married to the mother, and K through 12 education is absolutely lousy. I'm in California. 85% of black kids cannot read at state proficiency levels. Why aren't we talking about that? But still, on, on late night, they go on and on and on about microaggressions and on all sorts of other BS that has nothing whatever to do with the day-to-day -day lives of black people. So let's talk about the economics, though. So you said, Obama said 90% there. What, what is that 10% economically is there are there issues within hiring are there issues i mean this is something we've heard over and over from corporate america it looks like corporate america especially after the death of george floyd they're getting into a lot of what you're uh, talking about as far as you know the obama interpretation of things do you think there are challenges in corporate america that are holding black americans back I do not. The, the biggest challenge is a large number of black uh, black Americans are completely unprepared. There's a 50 percent inner city uh, high school dropout rate in many uh, areas in this country. There are 13 public high schools in Baltimore, 13, where zero percent of the kids can do math at grade level. And another six or seven high schools where only one percent can. That is the number one problem facing America. Uh, facing uh, black America. Uh, again, the large number of black kids raised without fathers uh, and the lousy education people are getting K through 12. Forget about elder. Obama once said a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 
20 times more likely to end up in jail. Now, the question is, how have we gone from 25% of black kids born outside of wedlock in 1965 to 70% now? You cannot blame that on racism. You can certainly make an argument that 25% had to do with Jim Crow uh, and racism and, and slavery. But how do we go from 25% in 65 to 70% outside of wedlock uh, in 2020 and, and, and attribute that to racism? It is because we have incentivized women to marry the government uh, and we've allowed men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility through our welfare state. And we're, we're not even having a discussion about the dependency that this has caused. Uh, and we're not even having a discussion about a choice in K through 12. Joe Biden wants to eliminate choice. Urban parents polls show recognize that their kids are going to a lousy underperforming K through 12 school. They want out. But majority of white Democrats living in the suburbs do not. Who's on your side? Why are black people pulling that lever 95% for the party that does not want to give you the best possible education, which is the route out of poverty towards the middle class? Larry, a lot of what you're saying, again, Hollywood would never want to give any sort of megaphone or platform. I, I don't hear anyone in Hollywood ever saying this. How do you operate? You're there in Los Angeles. How, how do you operate in this entertainment industry? How do you operate in Los Angeles where Hollywood controls the entire industry? We're talking business. How do you, how do you operate from a business standpoint? I'm just curious. Carrie, I want to say one thing, though. There is one Hollywood A-list star who's telling the truth about race and racism, who says that the number one problem is the lack of fathers in the home. And that A-list guy is Denzel Washington. I did an Epic Time video about that that so far has generated 2.2 million views. And again, it's now been demonetized. But he has said for a long time, it's about the home. It's about the family. And people have ignored that. Uh, and the man has, um, has uh, he's not a Republican. Don't cancel him. But he's the only one who's really talking the truth about race and race relations uh, in Hollywood from the left. Uh, as far as how I function, I just do my thing like, like you do. I get up. I believe that ultimately the American people are, are not going to have common sense. I believe that the captain uh, on the Titanic, Harry, had he known the iceberg was ahead, he would have taken uh, evasive action. We need to take evasive action because the iceberg is ahead. And that's spending, that's taxing, that's regulating, and that's not giving people opportunities to have the best possible K-12 education. Those are the icebergs, and I believe that Americans are going to take evasive action. All right. All right. Larry Elder, thank you so much. We appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Stay tuned. We got buyer's remorse by the labor unions who say, hey, Joe Biden, you're not our guy. Stay tuned. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Morning. Welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. Well, you might have heard that three major labor unions are having some buyer's remorse about their endorsement of Joe Biden for president in 2020. It turns out now that just by the stroke of his pen, President Biden has signed some executive orders banning the Keystone Pipeline, and he's also moving to ban fracking on federal lands. And labor unions are responding in kind, and they're upset about this. So there have been three labor unions that that have come out and said, 
the Labor's International Union of North America, the United Association of Union Plumbers and Pipefitters, and the North American Building Trades Union. They all endorsed Joe Biden for president. And now they're saying, hold your horses. We're upset about this because this would potentially destroy tens of thousands of good paying jobs. The majority of these jobs are union jobs. So what's going on here with trade unions? Because trade unions were part of this switchover because former President Trump was very strong with the labor unions. The workers felt like he stood for them. This was part of why he was propelled to office. And, and Joe Biden was able to poach over a fair amount in order to get over the victory line. Joining me to discuss this is Aquiles Larrera. He is the founder and CEO of Larrera Wealth Management. Good morning. Good morning, Carrie. So tell us about this labor union issue, because labor unions have historically been a backbone of the Democratic Party. It was a constituency where you had a number of people who went for President Trump. And now it seems that they feel like they are at least these three groups. We'll see if there will be more that they have been basically left at the altar, that Joe Biden promised them things. And now they're saying this is too much. What's going to happen here with the future of labor and President Biden? Well, there's definitely no extremism here. I mean, it's simply a matter of are the jobs available and are they quote unquote classified as jobs? Because the first thing you have to understand, the Department of Labor defines a job as being 12 months or more. A lot of these jobs are what we call transitory and temporary, meaning that they're only lasting four to eight months. Now, the timing couldn't have been uh, worse at this particular point, but you have to think, if you think back to the Obama administration back in 2015, uh, where they had already killed this deal, and then the Trump administration had said, hey, you know what, we'll take another look at it and let's get these people to work. Uh, you know, you have to say to yourself, what is really going on here? You know, is this only about getting oil to the Gulf so we can raise the price of oil, of fossil fuels? or? is the Biden administration saying, and the new uh, Secretary Buttigieg saying, hey, are we gonna start doing the renewable energy, solar, wind, and the like, and what's really behind this? And those are the questions I think the unions need to be asking themselves and getting themselves in on if there's an opportunity to uh, get work there. And also you wanna say to yourself, how many of these jobs are U.S.-based and how many are Canadian? Only one plus mile of these uh, pipeline has been built and it's been on the Canadian side of the border. Plus, they've been fraught with a lot of problems. There have been leakages. There's, you know, a whole Achilles, bunch of things if, if going I'm hearing on that right, they need to I think, resolve. If, if I'm hearing you right, you're basically telling the unions to just suck it up. Is that what you're saying? Because we've, had, saying. we've had a lot of uh, billions of dollars of of taxpayer dollars and, and attempts to subsidize solar and clean energy and and people want to preserve the environment. That's that's a generally shared goal. But in the meantime, when you have jobs that would make the United States less dependent on the Middle East, less dependent on Russia, these jobs, if they go away, whether it's Canadian or American jobs, these are Western friendly allies jobs as opposed to getting shipped overseas because somewhere some way that oil is going to get pulled out the canadians could actually go and uh, deal more with other countries who are not so kind to the united states well this isn't the first first off let me say as a former teamster i'm totally pro-union so let's get that out of the way all right just checking the, th <laughs> the thing you have to remember is it's the time frame here 
You know, let's talk about a job for four months, a job for eight months is not really, you know, but Akilah, a, long-term a job is a job. If, if you're feeding your family, a job is a job. So especially right. during but COVID. There are, absolutely. And you're absolutely right about that. But the thing to remember with the renewable energy, there will be additional jobs. So the rationale behind this administration, what they were saying to themselves, what they've been saying to the public at large, is that there are even more jobs of, that are going to be available for these unions in the sectors that I just outlined before with renewable energy, with solar, with wind and the like. There's so much more opportunity going forward for the future. You're also seeing this with companies like BP, Amico, Shell, where they are- Achilles, again, I understand the future, but I'm talking about right now. These were jobs that people were expecting, jobs that they had been preparing for for a long time under the Trump administration. So to have it totally the rug pulled out from under you, do you see why they're upset? I see why they're upset. And if you look at the data and the numbers, it was supposed to end the third quarter this year, those jobs. So we're not talking a long period of time. Like I said before, the timing is not great. Uh, you know, but if this was something that was supposed to be killed back in 2015, this pipeline, and then it, it got started again. So this really is going back to an Obama era. Well, you know what, Achilles, uh, it's, it's, it's not just a Keystone pipeline. It's also we've talked in this program about fracking that President Biden, through executive order, has signed an order to ban fracking, first of all, right now on federal lands. So and, and industry experts have said I just had someone who was with the EPA transition team for former President Trump. And he said, this is just the camel's nose in the tent. He's going to go much further. He wants to and even said on the debate stage that he wanted to ban out fracking outright. So this is not if we're talking about the future, Achilles, it seems that the future is against fossil fuel. And that is something that the labor unions, this is the issue. But I also want to turn just generally to fuel prices. So we've seen the fuel prices. They've been going up and up, pain at the pump. So Americans are going to be paying more right now. Just in the last couple of weeks, they're not the national gas price average jumped 23 cents just within the first three weeks of the year. And this is at the time the U.S. gasoline demand and supply were lower and crude oil prices have been increasing similar today. So we, what's what do you think is driving this increase here? Because th this hurts people who are on the lower end of the spectrum economically the most because they're going to be paying a bigger chunk of their their income compared to a wealthier person to pay for gas. Yeah, well, um, and we've seen historic low prices uh, in the oil sector, and that's been attributed to a glut of oil that's been available. And now all the, you know, OPEC and different sources have been tightening their supply. This particular project that you're seeing uh, going to the Gulf has a potential to raise oil prices even further. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like a double edged sword. Yeah, we're getting more oil coming in through this pipeline. If that were to happen, just say, you know, they come to an agreement or what have you. But I foresee oil prices going back up because they have been pushed down for quite some time. And I'm talking about 12 to 18 months and more that they've been pulled down. So this is a natural look. If you look at any market, this is a natural cause where it's going to have to go back up in order to maintain an efficient market. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with the Saudis. Word on the street is that the Saudis maybe perhaps view Biden as less aggressive and less willing to push back on them and their cuts in production. We'll keep an eye on that. But we got to run. Aquiles Larrera, thanks so much for joining us. Having me.
And stay tuned, we have Cheryl Atkinson. She's a famous investigative reporter, but she's been harassed, she says, by the Internal Revenue Service. So we know things, the only thing certain in life are death and taxes, and Cheryl is having an ongoing nightmare with the IRS. She joins us to tell us what happened next. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, good morning. Welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. I'm glad you're here with us. So Cheryl Atkinson is a famous journalist. She's well known for her investigations that have dug in and really exposed corruption at many levels. She's also the host of Full Measure, and she's the host of the Cheryl Atkinson podcast here at Just the News. She's also the author of the book Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. And Cheryl, she's got all these amazing professional accomplishments, but right now she's dealing with a nightmare in her personal life. And she's joining me this morning to talk about what's happened to her with the IRS. Hey there, Cheryl. Hey, good morning. Hey, so uh, you put out a tweet and it was really surprising to a lot of us who saw just how open you were. And I, I applaud you for being so open about it. You said the IRS has billed, threatened me for taxes already paid. For months, they don't answer phone due to volume of calls. I can't check online because verification code never comes. Tried for three years. Emails unanswered. New letter says they'll seize my bank account. Accepting guidance, advice. What responses have you got since you put this out? You just put it out yesterday afternoon. What I learned was this sort of thing is very common, and it's happening to thousands and maybe millions of people where they're saying that they, too, are being improperly billed. But I think maybe the even bigger part is there's no way to reach the IRS to sort it out. They simply have, like, the worst kind of business model ever that if you call them right now, as I've tried for months, typically the line, once you get through all the prompts, just says, we're too busy. You can't even hold. Call back another time. So there's no way to reach them on the phone, period. And then the website is so messed up, which for years I've tried to set up an account, which would help you maybe check some things online. But the prompt never works to do the final you know, they want to send you a code and the code never comes. So then there's another option. Well, we can mail you a code. And if I click that, it simply says there's a technical error. Then the local offices are closed. The IRS taxpayer advocate that somebody recommended, those offices are closed. They, too, have a recording that won't accept messages because they're too overloaded. And there's simply no way to sort it out. My accountant has just recommended after the taxpayer advocate's office that I get a lawyer or it tight and just hope they sort it out on their own somehow. What a headache. And just knowing that it's the lawyers going to win at the end of the day. Cheryl, you said that this was for taxes already paid and you said this has been going on for three years. I know that a lot of government offices are saying that they're shut down. People aren't working during COVID, but this was happening even before COVID. How did this happen? And, and you said that you see a lot of people who are dealing with this right now. Is it people who are they contractors? Is this I mean, you know, I, I know it's personal, but whatever you can share, is this something that maybe you're a contractor and the, the taxes were paid or they weren't withheld properly? How did this happen? 
Yes, I I have a job with withholding, my regular job, but I also have freelance work as an author and freelance writer. So I pay, like a lot of people, quarterly taxes, quarterly estimates. And I've directed my CPA because I do sensitive reporting and don't want to make myself, invite myself to be a target of anything. You know, anytime he says we can take a deduction or something, maybe we can do, I say don't, just pay more, pay more, because I don't want to, you know, I just don't want to make myself a target. So I, I pay frequently and I try to pay more than I owe it at least. Well, for about three years after I pay extra that supposedly is due at the end of the year, my final payment, I've been getting a bill for about the same amount with some penalty. And it's hard to know what they're billing you for, but ultimately I've just paid it. I can't figure out. So I keep paying and then I get another bill for the same amount and I pay it again. That's gone on for a couple of years. And finally last fall, I just started thinking this wasn't right, and my accountant wasn't able to take care of it. And I did reach the IRS then, maybe this was in July, and talked with them, and they actually realized through our conversation that they were billing me over and over again for payments paid, and somehow not cross-referencing or crediting the payment to the proper account. So they said, okay, we owe you, I think it was like $5,000 back, and I showed them it's actually $10,000, double what they thought. So they paid me back. You know, it took some time. It took a lot of time on the phone. But almost immediately, I got billed again. And and it just keeps going and going. And I know what they've done. They're just not cross-referencing the payments. But it's an impossible thing to sort out because now I can no longer reach anybody at the IRS. And the comments I got on Twitter, this similar thing is happening to a lot of people. I'm not sure why they're not, as they say, cross-referencing the payments properly. They couldn't tell me why that was happening. They said it was strange that... You know, I'm married. I file jointly. When we make a payment, it's supposed to go under both Social Security numbers. It did for 30-something years, but all of a sudden now there's there's something going on. Do you think this is just a, a systematic failure that, you know, a lot of people have a lot less faith in institutions? Do you think it's a, an accounting issue or do you think it's uh, just you know a failure or do you think it's something more sinister? Because, I mean, we did see under Obama's age that conservatives were targeted by the IRS. I suspect it's just a bureaucratic accounting error. I mean, there's two ways to look at that. It's happening to so many people, and I don't, I just think it's a really contorted bureaucracy that's not efficient and not working well. So that's my suspicion. Of course, there's always the chance that even at a different level than the people who helped me when I called the IRS, that some little glitch can be put in the system to make things harder for people like me. Maybe two accounts can be unlinked so that this happens, you know, by somebody. I don't suspect that's the case, but I also can't rule it out. I just think in general, we know what a mess the federal bureaucracy is. It's unthinkable and unforgivable to me that it's impossible to reach an agency period for people trying, you know, for months and months and months and that they make a mistake and provide no way to sort through the mistake. And I'll say this again. I know people feel the same way I do. It's not just the IRS. When I first started calling to sort it out, it was on a Saturday because that's when I have time and maybe when you have time and a lot of people to do some of this business to sort things through. Right. And they're closed on the weekends. You know, this, yeah, Cheryl, the we are so sorry are. you're going through this. <laughs> we got to take a break here, but thank you so much, Cheryl, for sharing your story. All right, we'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Well, one of the new moves that the Biden administration has made has made some waves. A lot of people are upset in the healthcare industry, specifically the Federals, for example, reported that Biden has frozen a Trump rule that is aimed at lowering the price of insulin and the EpiPen. So the freeze reportedly, according to Bloomberg, is part of the Biden administration's large scale effort announced this week that will scrutinize the Trump administration's health policies. If the previous administration's policies raised, quote, fact, law or policy concerns, the Biden HHS will delay them and consult with the OMB about other actions. And the look here uh, from some conservatives who have responded to this, Mary Vaught, for example, she tweeted out, she said the Biden reversed the Trump executive order to reduce pricing for insulin and epiphen. This is something for the EpiPens. She says, do Democrats want higher insulin prices? This is a big question that uh, is on a lot of people's minds. And joining me to discuss this is a physician. She's out in California. She's Dr. Rapoli Shada. She's a general and forensic psychiatric physician. Good morning, Dr. Shada. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So tell us, what would this mean for a patient if the price here jacks up? How much are we talking here? Um, so I want to specifically point out that this is for a subset of our population, patients who get medications from federally qualified health centers, um, and there are 14,000 of these centers. Uh, insulin and epinephrine would range from 400 to $700 a month especially if the patient's on insulin, and it would drop down with Trump's executive order to $10, $20 a month instead. So it's a significant cost savings that we would be losing. And specifically, the patients that use these uh, federally qualified health centers are patients who are usually under or uninsured. So this would have a huge financial impact on patients getting life-saving medications. So the Biden administration says if they have fact, law, or policy concerns, what specifically would be the concern that someone could pay less for their insulin? You know, that's a good question. I actually don't think there's anything harmful to the general public, to the taxpayer, or the patient in this regard. So it doesn't make any sense, to be honest. So in terms of private sector involvement, I mean, that's something for competition. That, that's one of the economics 101, that if you have more competition, then the price will go down for things. But government is a big 800-pound gorilla, like you said, for these public health centers that serve people who are from poor areas or just really need access. And so they have a lot of leverage when it comes to negotiating with these prices. So why wouldn't the Biden administration want to use that leverage to lower the price for everyone? You know, like I said, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, if you think about uh, the goal of the Biden administration, which is to help patients who are uninsured and underinsured, patients who don't have a lot of access, who are disenfranchised, minority patients, patients from lower socioeconomic uh, income areas, you would think that they would not put a freeze on this and help those patients. In fact, the Trump administration uh, was the administration that listened to patients who were saying, hey, why are our life-saving medications costing so much? So I kind of want to backpedal a little bit and tell you 
uh, why these medications are so expensive to begin with, specifically epinephrine and insulin, if that's all right. Sure. Um, so in the 90s, we had a um, measure passed. It was a 340B drug pricing program that was passed. And it was passed because we wanted to get medications for low-income patients, negotiate the price to be pennies on the dollar for people who really need it. Because no one should, you know, like uh, uh, the right, the left likes to say, no one should be without access to health care. And the right believes that as well. This is a nonpartisan issue. And so it was negotiated that these federally qualified health centers would get this medication much, 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 much less, pennies on the dollar. Well, unfortunately, human nature as it is, these federally qualified health centers did not pass the savings on to the patients. They sold the patients the medications at market value. And that's actually pretty, you know, heinous when you think about it. And so- So they were paying, the, so they were getting a discount, but they weren't passing that on to the consumers. And were the insurance, were getting, and were the insurance companies getting the discount also? So, you know, this, these are for patients who are either they have really, really deductibles or they are co-pays are just astronomical and they can't afford them or patients who are uninsured. Um, and so, yes, the discount, the, these clinics were getting the medications for cheap, but then they were giving the patients the medications for a cost. So they were making, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, that's in clinics. Um, in other areas, such as like nonprofit hospitals, then they would go ahead and bill insurance and give those patients medication, give patients who had insurance those medications that they got for really, really cheap and upmarket them and bill their insurance. So there was definitely, you know, we talk about the swamp in DC. There's a huge swamp in healthcare. There are a lot of special interests who don't want, you know, us to have fair um, prices. All right. Dr. Shana, your your signal there is cutting a bit. So um, we appreciate your perspective. And, you know, this is something that I hope all of our viewers will look into. Dr. Shada, thank you so much. Yeah, this issue of reversing price drops uh, for Americans, uh, you know, again, it's it's something that the Biden administration promised to help uh, make health care more affordable. We are going to continue to ask these questions because, uh, you know, it's. Nobody wants government intervention in the market if you believe in free markets. But at the same time, if the government is one of the biggest payers, they do have leverage to negotiate within the private sector to have lower prices. So we'll keep an eye on this and keep you posted on what we see here to our audience. Stay tuned. We are coming back. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Hey there, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you've been here with us for the ride. So to close the show, I just want to call out something that you should put on your calendar and just note that today, according to the National Calendar team, is the National Plan for Vacation Day. It is the last Tuesday in January and it reminds us to plan our vacation at the start of the year for the rest of the year. The early bird gets to pack their bags and fly away to a little fun and relaxation and I would just say that with everything that's happened with COVID, a lot of folks are discouraged. A lot of people feel like there's uh, you know, no hope. They feel locked down. They feel like there's really no place for them to go. But just maybe you want to think about for today for the National Plan of Vacation Day, it's good for your mental health. I mean, we're seeing uh, you know, issues with people, depression on the rise, people feeling more isolated. So if you can be strategic, and there are some restrictions when you're traveling abroad, but even here in the good old United States of America. There are lots of amazing vacation destinations, beautiful nature. Uh, when you're going out in nature, you're not going to be in a crowd. You don't have to worry about the mask, no mask fights. Go out, maybe book a, a vacation for a national park here. The national parks, go send them a little love. I'm from the great state of Utah. We have some of the best national parks. There's Arches and Zions and Bryce, um, really beautiful, amazing skiing as well. Uh, this is, I don't work for the state of Utah, but uh, I'm always in a constant deba debate with the people of Colorado about who has better skiing. Why don't you go and plan for yourself? See, uh, see who has the best skiing. Vermont's got some great skiing as well. So anyway, that does it for us. We will be back tomorrow. Stay tuned though for War Room coming up next.